Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. On our second lesson on Principles of Church Life class, And I'd like to read from Mark chapter 1, and we'll take from verse 9 through to 15. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now, as we saw last week when, uh, in our first lesson, how the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved, or those that were being saved, we found that there were certain basic steps involved in becoming and maintaining church membership, as you see in your first lesson. And we listed these out, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, water baptism, Holy Spirit baptism, uh, continuance in the Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. Now, we'll notice that the first step here is repentance, the doctrine of repentance. All right, so you have two words to fill in on our catechism here this morning. What is the first word of the gospel? You'll notice what uh, Mark says here. Jesus, beginning, uh, beginning to preach, he says, The time was fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand, Number one, repent ye, and secondly, believe the gospel. All right, so the first word of the gospel is what? Let's say it together. Repent. The second word is believe. Now, I don't think I can overemphasize that because as I've mentioned over many, many years now, uh, one of the greatest dangers that the church has got into in my mind is that we have developed what I call a cheap and easy only believism gospel. Only believe, only believe, only believe. It's a cheap and easy only believism. And uh, the doctrine of repentance, in fact, I had one brother say to me, and uh, uh, he really tested my second blessing. I almost had to repent myself. But he said, I never preach repentance now. Repentance is a Jewish word. Isn't it amazing how preachers can cop out if they don't like anything, give it to the Jews or dump it in the millennium. Anything you don't like, give it to the Jews or dump it in the millennium. Well, I said, what do you preach? He said, I just tell them only believe. The word of the gospel is uh, only believe, only believe, only believe. Not repentance, it's a Jewish word. Well, as we're going to see this morning, it's a good old-fashioned Bible word, and there's not too much uh, teaching on repentance, and I believe this is a great indictment against the ministry as a whole today. So we want to look at this word repentance. How many ever learnt this word repentance in school? Did your teachers take take you through this word on spelling? Hands up. Hands up. My wife went to it, but that's way back in the dark ages. Uh, at school, I learned to spell 
the word repentance. But in the modern dictionaries, they don't seem to put it in there for some nasty reason. Why do you think that could be? Well, it's a good Bible word, amen? All right, I want to go through some of these scriptures. So the first word of the gospel is not only believe, the first word of the gospel is repent, the second word is believe. All right, let's go through some of these references and just touch on the particular verse here because we have a lot of material to cover in our lesson this morning. Matthew chapter 3, and uh, these scriptures are on your, on your outline there. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 8, we find that John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the first, west, uh, first word of his message was the doctrine of repentance. All right, Matthew 3, verses 1 and 2, we'll read. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Only believe, only believe, only believe. No, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So John's first message was repentance, doctrine of repentance, the message of repentance, a call to repentance. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, uh, corresponding with Mark's gospel, uh, Jesus Christ confirms the word that John the Baptist is preaching and his first message is not only believe, his first message is also a call to repent. All right, Matthew 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent ye, not only believe, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, so Christ's first message was repentance. Mark's gospel again. Let's turn to Mark's gospel, chapter 6. So John the Baptist, his first message was repentance. Christ's first message was repentance. And now the Lord Jesus sends the 12 apostles out and their first message is not only believe, it's the call to repentance. Mark chapter 6, and we'll look at verse uh, 7 on a little bit here. Uh, we'll take verse 12 because uh, of our time here. And they went out, that is the 12 uh, Jesus called the twelve and began to send them forth two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits, etc. And, and they went out and preached that men should repent. Okay, so the twelve apostles, their foundation message was repentance. All right, let's go over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, which we were looking at last uh, Sunday. Now this is the birthday of the church, the initial church members. And we'll find that the first word of Peter, confirming the word of John the Baptist, confirming the word of the Lord Jesus Christ, confirming the word that the, uh, the twelve apostles preached on the day of Pentecost. We'll take verse 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Uh, the Amplified New Testament says, uh, if I remember correctly, that they were thoroughly stabbed. There was a conviction of the Holy Spirit that I'm afraid that we lack today. And I believe we need... In, in my mind, one of the greatest needs in the church today is some good Holy Ghost conviction. Can you say amen? amen? Because there's becoming such a deadness to sin where people's consciences are actually almost seared with a hot iron that they can commit adultery and live like the devil and never feel any conviction of sin. I've talked to people that have just gone and committed adultery and been messing around with homosexuality and say, well, I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel bad. I don't feel guilty. Well, when a person gets beyond that, something has happened where the conscience has become seared with a hot iron. And because of our humanistic philosophy as just brainwashing people and, 
and searing men's consciences because the Holy Spirit convicts through the conscience. And I will touch on, on the, the necessity of having a clear conscience before God, particularly as believers. All right, so uh, they, they were pricked, they were thoroughly stabbed. Uh, another part in the Amplified says they were excessively irritated. You know, there was no gentle Jesus, meek and mild, there and say, well, excuse me, I don't want to be offensive, but I have a little tract here on the four laws. Would you care to read it in your spare time? You know, there was none of that, you know. <laughs> they were pricked in their heart, thoroughly stabbed, excessively irritated, and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, come out the front and we'll give you a little invitation card. Shake the preacher's hand and give it back to him. No, then Peter said unto them, what did he say? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the first message on the day of Pentecost to those who were added to the church they, daily, those that were being saved, the first message on the day of Pentecost was repent. Uh, so if a church calls itself Pentecostal, does it give a clear word on repentance? All right, Acts chapter 20, our last uh, scripture on this area. In this grouping, Paul the Apostle now confirms everything that John said, everything that Jesus said, everything that the twelve apostles said, and everything that Peter said on the day of Pentecost, Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, so, as I said, this man who said, oh, repentance is a Jewish word, Paul gives this to the Gentiles. Gentiles, pardon me, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and we'll read verse 20 and 21. Paul talking to the elders of the church of Ephesus, and he says, How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly, and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, the Gentiles. So Jews and Gentiles... Both. He didn't say what I just said to the Jews, seeing as a Jewish word, uh, repent, and only believe for the Gentiles. No, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have the same thing. The first word of the gospel is repent. The second word is believe. All right, I want you to go over to, while we're in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17 and verse 30. Acts 17 and verse 30. Well, notice here that repentance is not an option. I'll just read off the notes that you have here. Repentance is the first step in the believer's life. God, God commands it. If this foundation is not properly laid, the whole structure will be shaky, unable to stand the tests and trials that come. All right, in Acts 17 verse 30, it's actually quoted on your sheet there. And the times of this ignorance God winked at but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So it's not an option. Repentance is not an option. God commandeth not some men, all men everywhere to repent. All right, one other scripture on this, then we'll go to our second question here. Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. A very familiar passage, but one we just need to... Uh, read and confirm again that the first word of the gospel is not, re not only believe but repentance. All right, Hebrews 6 and verse uh, 1 will be sufficient.
Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on again unto maturity, unto completeness, unto perfection, not laying again the foundation, foundation, note the word there, foundation of repentance from dead works. Repentance toward God, but repentance from dead works. Repentance from the negative, turning from, repentance unto God, positive, turning unto. So we have both uh, positive and negative sides. So we, uh, Paul speaks of it, or the writer to the Hebrews anyway, as the foundation of repentance from dead works. So we are checking our foundation this morning. And sometimes in counseling I like to check up, well, have you ever repented? Well, someone just told me only believe. But have you ever repented? Have you ever really repented biblically uh, according to what the Bible says about it? Have you got a proper foundation? Because as uh, you will see on our next lesson Sunday, it's impossible to have genuine saving faith apart from a proper foundation of repentance. And people try to believe and try to believe as a mental ascent, as we see, because the foundation of repentance has never been properly laid. Okay, number two. I'd like you to turn over, just uh, this verse is not on your notes there, but I'd like you to turn to a verse in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, a favorite verse of mine. And uh, I suggest that you just put this uh, along your second question there. We're looking at question number two. What are the responses to some false concepts concerning repentance? And put next to that Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 10. The Lord uh, commissions Jeremiah here, Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 10. He says, See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. You'll notice that the commission of the Lord to Jeremiah's ministry was basically twofold. The first stage was rooting out, pulling down, destroying, throwing down. Second stage was to build and to plant. Now, I personally believe that this is so needed today because there are many false concepts of faith. There's false concepts of repentance. There's false concepts concerning water baptism and the church. There are so many false concepts that before you can build and plant the truth, these things have to be rooted out and pulled down and plucked up and destroyed. So we're looking at some of the false concepts, false con concepts concerning repentance that have to be rooted out, pulled down, plucked up and destroyed before we can build and plant the truth. And uh, every one of us have to go through this. How many have experienced God pulling down and rooting out some things in your life? Our old ideas about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I had so many things that had to be pulled down and rooted out and plucked up and destroyed before the Lord could build and plant the truth. Okay, I put down four false concepts concerning repentance. All right, you fill in. A, first thing is repentance. It is not conviction of sin. It is not conviction of sin. We won't turn to these scriptures because I want to add a few others later on here. In Genesis chapter 6, we find that in the days of Noah, uh, the, the, the Lord said to Noah, My spirit shall not always strive with man. So in the days of Noah, there were many people that were convicted. The Holy Spirit strove with men. 
But as we've got on the notes here, conviction precedes repentance, but not all who are convicted repent. Uh, Acts chapter 24, which you've got on your note there, when Paul was talking to Felix. I think it was Felix. Yes, when Paul, uh, Paul was talking to Felix, what was his response? Uh, as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, the Bible says, Felix trembled. He trembled. And the, uh, the thought that he was literally shook up under conviction as Paul reasoned. So here is a, is a, uh, is a, a man in, in, in high power. Felix, he just trembled. He shook with conviction as Paul reasoned. So what was Paul saying that brought about this trembling, this conviction? But he didn't repent. What did he do? He said, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I'll call for thee. We've got no record that he ever called back Paul to say, well, I want to respond. So what I'm saying there, that conviction of sin is not repentance. Conviction precedes repentance, but not all who are convicted repent. All right, B, second one here, another false concept concerning repentance, it is not worldly sorrow. It is not worldly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. I'll quote it here. You needn't uh, turn to it. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. When Paul is writing to the Corinthians, uh, this is what he said about bringing them to repentance on the uh, Corinthian case of fornication that had to be dealt with and had to be excommunicated because of a perversive lifestyle there. We're told, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation not to be repented of godly sorrow, but the sorrow of the world work of death. As I've got here, worldly sorrow is simply being sorry for getting caught, but not being sorry for the crime committed. You can go to jail today, well you needn't, but you can go to jail, and there are many, many people who are sorry in jail, but they're not sorry for their sin, they're just sorry that they got caught. So, it is not worldly sorrow. Oh, I'm just sorry. I've got, oh, well, he's really repentant. He's really crying. He's just weeping his heart out. Is he weeping his heart out because of the sin of it or just because he got caught? So there's a godly sorrow that doesn't need to be repented of. A godly sorrow worketh repentance unto salvation. But there's a worldly sorrow which is simply, I'm just sorry I got caught. All right, number C here. The next uh, false concept concerning repentance that has to be rooted out it is not reformation. Oh, well, I'm going to try to reform. I think uh, most of us could say, uh, working in secular jobs at the end of the year when they had their booze-up party, I've had dozens of them say, well, next year I'm going to reform. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. How many of you? you know, it's a New Year's resolution. Okay, it is not reformation. Reformation is turning over a new leaf. But that new leaf is pretty dirty too. But not genuine repentance. All right, D. Another false concept, it is not being religious. Let's turn to one of these verses anyway, Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we'll have cause to look at this more fully. Matthew chapter 5, a very challenging verse here, Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. All right, so you fill in there is, it is not being religious. The Pharisees in Christ's day were extremely religious, yet they were hypocrites. 
They never experienced repentance, but rather crucified Jesus. So Jesus put it this way, Matthew 5, verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what was the righteousness of the Pharisees? If we looked at some of those Pharisees, just some of the things they paid tithes. Now, they would have made good members of Waverley Christian Fellowship. Beautiful Pharisee pays tithes. They fasted. Boy, he must be spiritual. They believed in the Lord's coming. They believed in miracles. They believed in the inspiration. They were the fighting fundies of that day. Fighting fundamentalists. They were the holiness people. In fact, the very word Pharisee means a separationist. They were the holiness group of that day, quote-unquote. But extremely religious, but they were loudest in their voices of crucifying Christ. So it is not being religious. There are millions of people today in various uh, sheep sheds that are being religious, but have never repented of their sin. I've talked to many, many people, well, what fellowship do you belong? I belong to such and such. Well, have you ever repented? Have you ever been converted and accepted Christ? I was water baptized. But did you ever repent? Well, they just said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. I just believed and was baptized. And I said to them, all you did, you went down a dry sinner and come up a wet one. Right? Because repentance precedes water baptism. So there are multitudes, I'm sorry to say, there's multitudes who have gone down into the water as a dry sinner and come up a wet one, but have never repented, and they still live the same lifestyle, and are under the delusion that they are saved because they were pushed under the water. Well, repentance precedes baptism. Amen? Are you there this morning? Amen? Is this good Bible doctrine? Is it? Thank you. All right, there's not being religious. Okay, number E. It is not... I hope you can squeeze this in because I blocked out the answers for you, you know. Uh, it is not only believism or mental faith. I'd like you to turn over to a very, very interesting verse here. Uh, James chapter 2. It's on your, on your sheet there. James chapter 2. And uh, let's read verse 19 and 20. James chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. Uh, I haven't got the amplifier this morning. I'd like to have read it, so I'll try and remember a bit of it. It says here, James 2, 19 and 20, so our point there is, it is not only believism or mental faith. All right, so he says, Thou believest that there is one God. How many believe there's one God? Thou doest well. The devils also believe. And tremble. Uh, the amplifier, who, who has the amplifier? Anybody here this morning? <laughs> anyway, uh, can you, Sister Ashworth, can you sort of stand up and read that for me? Uh, I think it's that verse. Thank you. Out loud for the tape. <laughs> Isn't that good? The devils also believe and tremble and shudder and uh, just like making a man's hair stand up on end. So you could say, oh, well, oh, I believe. Well, so is the devil. 
What better than the devil are you? But does the devil ever repent? You think he ever will? No way. Okay? But the next verse says, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? All right, so as we've got on our note here, mental faith is merely a mental acceptance and assent to a set of creeds or doctrines, but without any change in the life, this is dead faith. And you can talk to an average Australian even say, oh, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God. I believe in God. Yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. And all of this is a mental assent to historical facts. But there's no hard faith. It's a dead faith. And so our only believism develops that. So we're not talking about a mental faith. Faith is of the heart. With the head man believeth unto salvation. In the reverse version. With the, with the heart. Not with the head. With the heart. So true faith is a thing of the heart. So it is not only believism or mental faith. Okay, so I'd like us as a class... Uh, to say those five things together. Okay, what are the responses to some false concepts concerning repentance? A, it is not conviction of sin. B, is not worldly sorrow. C, is not reformation. D, it is not being religious. E, it is not only believism or mental faith. Everybody clear on that? Okay, question number three now. What is the proper root of repentance? I'd like you to turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 3 in connection with this thought. Matthew. <laughs> Thank you. Matthew chapter 3. All right, Matthew chapter 3, and uh, continuing John the Baptist's message to uh, uh, the house of Judah, he says in verse 8, I'll read a little bit from verse 7, O generation of vipers, you bunch of snakes, how to win Jews and influence Greeks in six easy lessons. Uh, John the Baptist never seemed to get that book, did he? Uh, o generations you of vipers, you little bunch of snakes, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, answerable to, suitable to, repentance. I want you to pick up that now. On your sheet here, uh, I'll get you to fill in because I want to put on the overhead of transparency here and add some more scriptures. Uh, the first fill in there is the root of repentance. If you have fruit, there must be a root. No rooty, no fruity. Right? No fruity, no rooty. So if there's going to be fruits of repentance, there must be a root of repentance. So the first fill in there is the root of repentance. Turn over to question four and just fill in that other word there. The fruit of repentance. The fruit of repentance. While we're on this uh, question four, then we'll come back. Acts chapter 26 and verse 20 I'd like you to look at too. Acts 26 and verse 20. Paul uses another word here which uh, corresponds to the word fruits of repentance. It's a different word, but it has the same thought. Acts 26 and verse 20. 
He says, but showed first unto them of Damascus, this is Acts 26, verse 20, but showed first unto them of Damascus and, and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coasts of, of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, so Jews and Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works, fruits for repentance, works meet for repentance. All right, so if there is life, there will be works. If there's root, there will be fruit. So whether we say works meet for repentance or fruits meet for repentance, it's the same thought. All right, I want you to go back to question number three here and we'll read a little bit and then I want you to take down these scriptures from on the overhead and uh, a couple of additional thoughts here. All right, what is the proper root of repentance? The root meaning of the word repentance is a change of mind or a change of heart and attitude. And this in particular concerning sin and relationship with God. It means a complete about turn, a change of direction. Why don't we all read that together, taking from the root meaning? Let's all say it together, okay? The root meaning of the word repentance is a change of mind or a change of heart and attitude. And this in particular concerning sin and relationship with God. It means a complete about turn, a change of direction. All right, we'll amplify that a little bit more in a moment. But for instance, if here is man, because you see, before the fall, man was in 100% fellowship with God. He had a mind towards God. There was a oneness, a relationship with God. There was no sin that beclouded his mind. But when man... Uh, fell, and as we'll see, sin entered through the mind, he turned his back upon God. So man is running away from God. He's turned his back on God. He's running away from God. While repentance is a change of mind, and we'll see why it has to happen, a change of mind, it's a right about face, it's a right about, uh, right about turn. Instead of with a man's back towards God and running from God, it is now facing God, a right about turn and now facing God and coming towards God. That's repentance. So it's a right about turn. Right about face from, uh, with your back towards God and running from God, but now facing God and coming towards God. Now, thank you, Matthew. The, uh, these scriptures are not on, a couple of them are, but I suggest that at the back of the sheet here, page uh, on the other side, that you take down these lists of scriptures and I'm going to go through them and on that line, I want you to fill in the particular word. Uh, and uh, you'll just pardon me if I'm coming on strong this morning, but I have very, very strong convictions about the necessity of a right foundation of repentance and and his relationship with God. Because there can be no faith without genuine repentance. Okay, I've got repentance, root and fruit. Second Corinthians and I'm going to move quickly through these. Uh, I know I'm sort of throwing a lot at you, but that's, that's how it goes here. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3. And I'll tell you the word I want you to fill in. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Paul says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be, this is the word I want you, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. 
Now let's look at this here a moment. The word there is man's mind is corrupted. How did sin enter? Sin entered through the mind. As I said before, in the Garden of Eden when God created man, man's mind, his whole being, soul, spirit, soul and body, mind, will and emotions was toward God. He fellowshiped with God. God walked in the cool of the evening with man. There was no rebellion in the mind of man. But the moment the serpent came on the scene, the first thing he did was put a question mark into the mind of the woman concerning the word of God, God's word. Half God said. Eh? And he's been doing that ever since. And the thing that we're up against, and this is why I'm coming on pretty heavy, saints, because we're living in such a humanistic, philosophical generation that man's mind, the battle for the mind, where people's minds are so brainwashed that they're getting beyond guilt, beyond conviction, and their conscience seared with a hot iron. And unless God gets through and we, we get back to the Bible, pity help this generation. Pity help this generation. So sin entered through the mind, and so that was the first utterance of Satan in the Bible, hath God said. He put a doubt into the mind of the woman over the word of God. And he's been saying the same thing ever since. The devil's the same yesterday, today and forever. Right? And he still says, hath God said, has God said, is the Bible the word of God? Who wrote the Bible anyway? Is it inspired? Is it infallible? Do we believe in an inerrant scripture? All these modernist, religious, uh, liberal theologians, God help them. We're producing a generation in the church of unbelieving believers because of uh, liberal theologians. Well, I believe this is the word of God. I believe it's infallible, inerrant, it's accurate. I stake my whole salvation on the truth of this. Amen? So, man's mind became corrupted. Uh, let's look at 1 Timothy 6, 5. And it says the same thing. Perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. These people who are passing laws in our society of of homosexuality and changing the laws concerning morality, their minds are corrupted. And they're corrupting our young people and corrupting our generation with this immoral behavior, the new morality. It's the, old, the new morality is simply the old morality, immorality. Eh? And they're corrupted minds because they have to destroy our young people with their immoral philosophy. Right? Okay, the next one. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. While we're in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3. Do you mind if I get agitated in the spirit this morning? Don't say Brother Connor's mad, just say he's righteously indignant. I am, too. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 14. But their minds were blinded. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it's on the overhead. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. So not only is the mind corrupted and sin entered through the mind. That's the thing I want you to get there. Sin entered through the mind. And that's why there has to be repentance, a change of mind. The mind is also blinded. Their minds were blinded. There is religious blindness and there's uh, a, uh, a sinful blindness. There are people who are religiously blinded and there's a moral blindness. All right, uh, number three, Daniel 5, verse 30. Daniel 5 and verse 30. 
another condition of the mind. Daniel 5 and verse 30, Daniel preaching to Belshazzar. And he didn't sort of, you know, make it gentle. It wasn't gentle Jesus, meek and mild. He told uh, Belshazzar about his father's attitude. Daniel 5 verse 20, But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride. So you should be filling in. The mind is corrupted. The mind is blinded. The mind is hardened. You know, there's a lot of people in our society that have got hardened minds. Yes, sir. Oh, 5.20. Thank you, David. Correct that, please. Daniel 5.20, not 5.30. Thank you. So, 5.20. So, there are people whose minds are hardened and the root cause is stinking pride. And pride stinks in God's mind. And pride hardens the mind. That's why it pays to keep humble and not be conceited in our mind because it hardens. Pride hardens the mind. All right, number four, Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. Ephesians 4.17. Paul talking to the believers, he says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And vanity means emptiness. And some people's minds are just like space, full of nothing. The emptiness of the mind being puffed up and the emptiness of their mind. Vanity, pride, emptiness, vanity of the mind. Uh, number five here, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3. among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. The fleshly mind. The fleshly mind. Your answer there is fleshly mind. Colossians 2.18, another scripture. Let no man beguile you of your reward in the voluntary humility and worshipping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up, by his, say it together, fleshly mind. A mind that is given over to the flesh. Alright, so we have corrupted minds, blinded minds, hardened mind, vanity of the mind, fleshly mind. Titus chapter 1 verse 5, number 6. Now is everybody starting to get the picture here? Why does man need to repent? Why does he need a change of mind? Because this is the condition of the mind apart from Christ. Titus 1 and verse 5. No, I've got a wrong chapter. Uh, 15. Correct that too, please. Number 6 should be Titus 1 verse 15. Unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. How many have found that out at work, that even if you say clean things, they can make a dirty joke out of anything you say? Why is that? See, to the pure, all things are pure. And you can say a statement and don't mean anything by it, and they can turn it to filth. I experienced that many, many times. Why? Because unto them that are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. They can make dirt out of anything. But even their mind and conscience 
is defiled. So your word there is defiled mind. All right, uh, Romans 8, here, Romans 8, very challenging verse here. Romans 8. And also I trust that the Spirit is quickening to you that all of us, all of our minds are like this apart from the grace of God. And that's why we not only need to repent, but we need to maintain repentance. Don't say, oh, I repented 30 years ago, five years ago. We need to maintain it because we are being brainwashed in our minds with the world's philosophy instead of brainwashed with the Word of God. Romans 8, and uh, we'll read verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded, here it is, what's carnivorous mean? Flesh eating. Okay, the carnal mind, the mind that feeds on the flesh, the animal mind that is carnivorous. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So your answer there is the carnal mind is death. All right, two more scriptures here. Colossians, three more scriptures. Colossians 1, 21. All these references I've given you show you the condition of man's mind and why we need some good Holy Ghost conviction and Holy Ghost repentance. Colossians 1 and verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. All right, you fill in there is enemies. Man is an enemy in his mind. That's why people don't flock into the church. That's why they don't like to see you reading your Bible. That's why they don't like to see you living a Christian life and not entering into their dirty jokes. Because just your presence convicts them. They're at enmity in their mind against God. I don't want God in my life. I don't want God messing up my life. So don't talk to me about God or Bible or religion or heaven or hell. I'm not interested. I'm a rebel in my mind against God. That's why you need Holy Ghost conviction to break down, to bring about a change of mind from having their back towards God and a mind in rebellion towards God and said, I changed my mind, Lord, I repent, I'm coming towards you. All right, two other scriptures here, Philippians chapter 3. Perhaps I'll just uh, quote uh, that one. Your answer there, Philippians 3, Paul speaks about those who mind earthly things. So your answer would be earthbound mind. Mind earthly things. And that's certainly true. People are just interested in materialism and more money, less work. The Australian Texas do as little as we can for as much as we can. That's what they used to tell me when I worked at Secular Works. I don't you do too much, Connor, or we'll kill you. Our motto is do as little as we can for as much as we can. So you can see where it's taking the nation. Romans 1. And this is the worst condition that a mind can get into. Once a man gets to this, he's almost beyond conviction. He's almost beyond salvation once a person's mind gets to this. Romans 1, 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, 
I don't want to know about God. I don't want to hear about God. I don't want religion. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to what? A reprobate mind. Those of you who have the marginal reference is a mind void of judgment. Reprobate has also been uh, defined as this. A mind given over to a continual state of depravity. And once a person gets to a reprobate mind, they've almost crossed the borderline beyond conviction. Now this is what's happening in our society because of our humanistic philosophy, atheistic, socialistic and so forth. Man's mind, something has happened in the mind of man that's going to end up reprobate unless the Holy Ghost comes in in convicting power. Well, I don't want my mind like that, do you? All right, so this is why man needs to repent. Okay, for our last couple of moments, let's go back to our sheet then before we finish our lesson. All right, question number three. I'd like uh, just to read it again, just to reinforce what we've been saying. Thank you, Matthew. The root meaning of the word repentance is a change of mind or a change of heart and attitude, and this in particular concerning sin and relationship with God. It means a complete about turn, a change of direction. The fall brought about in man a mind in rebellion against God and his law a mind which desires to go its own way. Repentance, brought about by the Holy Spirit, is a change of mind, a facing towards God. No man can or will repent of himself, but true repentance is brought about by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I appreciate the ministry of the Holy Spirit, don't you? I've heard uh, proud sinners say, I'll repent when I want to, I'll get saved when I want to. Did you know it's impossible to get saved when you want to? Because no man can get saved without the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it's the very grace of God that convicts a man of sin. Because if God didn't convict us, we wouldn't convict ourselves. Did anybody get self-convicted here? No. So it's the mercy of God. It's the grace of God that sends the Holy Spirit to convict people. And when people resist that conviction and resist the Holy Spirit, say, I'll get saved when I want to, the Holy Spirit just withdraws and says, okay, I'll leave you. I've talked to a couple of people who just went through years of hell when there was no conviction of the Spirit and they longed for it. There was no response because they'd said that. I'll get saved when I... Uh, no, grace of God. God grants and demands repentance. This is the root of repentance. Uh, Romans 2, as you see, despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. All right, Ern Baxter on, on the other side now as we finish. Ern Baxter defines it. Repentance is the informing and changing of the mind, the stirring and directing of the emotions to urge the required change, and the action of the will in turning the whole man from sin and unto God. So true repentance involves mind, emotions, and will. A change of mind, redirecting of the emotions, and a, an action of the will. The prodigal son exemplifies that. Went to the pigsty, and he could have just sat in the pigsty as long as he wanted to. But the Bible says when he came to himself, 
That was repentance. That was a change of mind. What did he say? I will arise and go back to my father and say, Father, I have sinned. Make me as a hired servant. So it involved, he could have said, oh, this is just terrible. These pigsties, they just really smell. I just feel like a lump of pork in a Jewish synagogue. I just feel out of place. It's just terrible. Father, come and get me. And I might say this in passing. It's very interesting in that chapter. There's three parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. The shepherd went looking for the lost sheep. The woman went looking for the lost coin, but the father never went looking for the lost son. There's more in that than meets the ear. He came to himself. And when he came to himself, he came to the Father. There was change of mind. There was an act of the will. There was a turning. Instead of having his back to the Father, with his mind sent on, I want to have a riotous time, and go to the pigsty, and when you got money, you got friends. There was about face turn. Change of mind, I will arise come back to the Father, and the Father was there to meet him. Number four, what are some of the fruits of genuine repentance? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. If there is genuine repentance inwardly, the root, this will be evidenced outwardly by the fruit. Fruits of repentance are evidence in godly sorrow for sin, confession of sin, forsaking of sin, hatred of sin, Fruit involves restitution where possible. I've had to make restitution and it's very hard, especially when you have to add interest to it according to the Bible. Without these fruits being manifested, there is no genuine Bible repentance. May God help us to receive this lesson this morning. How many received this lesson? Let's just bow our heads in prayer. These messages are based on Kevin Connor's best-selling book, Foundational Principles of Church Membership. Visit kevinconnor.org for details.